This week on Blue 58, a hero from the postseason leaves Green Bay for Oakland. Two of the most productive running backs in league history are on the Packers' radar, and neither are named Adrian Peterson. Plus, we finish up our season recap series with a look at the playoffs. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. We are powered this week, as we are every week, by WTMJ Mobile. I am your host, John Meerdink, joined today by Gary Zillavi. Gary, how are we doing? It's a great day to be great, John. It's a great day indeed. Great day for some headlines. So that, let's dive right in with a look at Jared Cook. The former Packers and now uh, former Rams tight end uh, has signed a free agent deal with the Oakland Raiders in his one year with the Packers. Cook went for 30 catches, 377 yards, and just one touchdown. And of course, one very memorable catch in the playoffs on the road at Dallas. Gary, on a scale of 1 to 10, with the highest possible answer being 3, what is the level that you are going to miss Jared Cook? <laughs> Most highest possible answer being three. I, I, I say two. Cook was essentially the same player in Green Bay that he was throughout his entire career. And that's a big, athletic, moderately productive tight end. He missed a number of games this season because of injuries. And history, I think, will only remember his big catch against the Cowboys. I'm excited about Martellus Bennett. I think he's an excellent addition to the Packers offense. And Lance Kendricks is kind of a light version of Jared Cook and a former Badger to boot. What's not to love? Yeah, I completely agree. I don't think we're going to end up missing Jared Cook that much. Just the the one season, the one memorable moment, and, you know, go with God, especially since the Packers signed a, a, like a better version of Jared Cook and Martellus Bennett. Not really going to miss him that much. Headline number two, we're focusing on running backs, and this time the roulette of aging running backs has landed on Jamal Charles, wondering if he's a possible fit in Green Bay. Ian Rappaport reporting on NFL Network that the Packers are considered a potential landing spot for Charles. There hasn't been much more information about the uh, the potential interest in Charles beyond that, but the Packers do have need at running back to a certain extent, and Charles certainly is a running back. But there are some caveats there. Due to some injuries, Charles had just played only 290 snaps over the past two seasons, including just 27 in 2016. Gary, do you think Jamal Charles is going to be playing anywhere in 2017, Green Bay or otherwise? Yes, he'll be on a roster heading into training camp. I'm not sure he's going to make it through the entire season. As you said, the 290 snaps over the last two seasons is certainly troubling and to take that a step further, Charles hasn't played all 16 games of a season since 2012, and I don't think 2017 is going to break that stretch. Now, Charles does have some fewer miles on him than some of the other backs that are around. He's got 1,300 career carries. That's 1,000 carries fewer than Adrian Peterson, and you typically, if you're a feature running back, run the ball about 300 to 500 times a, a season. Uh, so a thousand fewer carries than Peterson and eight hundred fewer carries than Marshawn Lynch. I I agree with your assessment there. I do think he's going to get a look from somebody. I really don't think it's going to be the Packers. I don't see a lot of reason for them to sign and a running back on the wrong side of thirty. Running backs beyond the top guy really don't get used that often in Green Bay. Uh, barring an unusual circumstance, and I, I don't think Charles is going to be the guy who's going to change that. That said, as we've said on the blog, 
if they're going to sign one of these running backs that is on the wrong side of 30, I would prefer Jamal Charles just because of what he can bring as a receiver and a guy who's comfortable operating out of the shotgun. He does those things really well, and that's something that we've talked about a lot in terms of the Packers needing that sort of back. Finally, sticking with the running back vein, this is not so much something that's realistic in terms of the Packers actually doing anything, but sort of another chapter in a long and complicated story. We're speaking about Marshawn Lynch, who has said that he wants potentially to come out of retirement and play for the Oakland Raiders. They've been sniffing around him a little bit. They would have to do quite a few things here either to make this happen. He's on the reserve slash retired list for the Seattle Seahawks, and the Seahawks could activate him from that list and then trade him to the Raiders or just release him outright. But it sounds like Lynch would be interested in playing with the Raiders if a few of those things would happen. Now, if Lynch is interested in joining the Raiders, he could theoretically be interested in joining the Packers, especially since they have a long history together too. Gary, you've explored this pretty in-depth. How much have you wanted Marshawn Lynch to be a member of the Packers? Over the course of the last 10 years, I, I think I've I wanted him the most in Green Bay in 2012, in 2010, excuse me. In that season, he was anywhere between the first and third string running back with the Buffalo Bills. The Bills had selected C.J. Spiller in the first round at running back that year and were ready to move on from Lynch. I was at uh, Lambeau Field when Lynch played that 2010 season, and so much was made that maybe the next week he'd be back on the Packers and back in Lambeau Field. And it didn't work out. And interestingly enough, uh, the Bills wanted to trade Lynch to the Packers for A.J. Hawk, eventually settling for a fourth or fifth round pick from the Seahawks. Flash forward to 2017, Marshawn Lynch is 10 years into his playing career, and he sat out all of last year. Like we've been talking earlier about Jamal Charles, I'd rather roll the dice on the NFL draft and some undrafted rookie free agents than trying to pry him away from retirement, trade for him from Seattle, try to convince him of not coming to Oakland. I I, I think I'm good with where, where the, the path is heading for Green Bay at running back. I do, too, especially as it pertains to Marshawn Lynch. Look, I, I would never want to play the, why wow, he doesn't want to play football sort of card. But Marshawn Lynch seems like he's got some other stuff going on in his life that he is interested in as well. You know, he makes media appearances when he feels like it. He's just living his life the way a guy in his early 30s with a lot of money probably should. And he's, he seems to be enjoying it. I don't know if I would want him to come back for any team. And I don't think the Packers are going to be the team that he comes back with, uh, regardless of what sort of situation he ends up in. But it's been interesting to, to take a look back on uh, on his semi-flirtation with the Packers and the Packers' semi-returned interest. We're going to have to do something on on Lynch and Gary, you know the next name I'm going to say. Tony Gonzalez, oh, right? I'm just doing this podcast so I don't get fined. <laughs> well, we can pay you in Skittles too. I think that works for Marshawn Lynch. Are you a Skittles guy or another small candy sort of guy? What is it, Skittles or M&M's? Uh, I don't really care. They both they're both garbage candy. They are. They're filler candy, aren't they? They're terrible. <laughs> Unless they hey, want to sponsor Blue 58 in which case, they're the Skittles. most wonderful delicious fruit snack food ever. 
Top five candy of all time. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. Hey, Gary, we got a great newsletter for people to sign up for on our website. We've been getting some good response there, and I just want to make sure that everybody knows how to sign up. What's the best way to get hooked up with that newsletter opportunity? The best way is to revive the passenger pigeon, write your email address on a slip of paper, attach it to the passenger pigeon, and let it go. It'll find its way to us. We'll switch you on the email list. If that's too much work for you, you can also head on over to our website, www.thepowersweep.com. On the right-hand column, there's a spot to drop your email for the newsletter, and you will receive it every Wednesday with a link to the latest episode of Blue 58 and a highlight of what we've been working on on the site so you can catch up on what you might have missed. And it's a great way to stay on top of one thing that we've been working on extra hard and is just about finished now, our player recap series. We are recapping every single player for the Packers who suited up for the 2016 season. We are just about to wrap that up and we'll give you the highlights of the last few guys as they come out. So check that out on the website. It's thepowersweep.com. You can see it on the right side of the page. All right, let's move on. Blue, so Gary, we are bringing to an end here something that we've been doing over most of the last four or five episodes here of Blue 58. We are taking a look back at every game of the 2016 season, doing this for two big reasons. First and foremost, we are trying to become smarter fans of the Green Bay Packers here at Blue 58 and on thepowersweep.com. And because the Packers play 16 and last season, 19 games in a season at a very frantic pace, it's sometimes hard to add a little bit of context to what's going on. That's what we're trying to do, looking back at all these games, understanding why they played out the way that they did. The second thing that we're trying to do is sort of trying to tease out that ultimate story of the season. What is the real sort of defining storyline of the season that wove itself through all 16 games that may not have been immediately apparent? This last season, we heard a lot about Aaron Rodgers, whether he was, I don't know if losing his step is the right thing, his relationship with his family, his relationship with Mike McCarthy, all of those things. Ultimately, they don't have a big effect on the season, but they were there. We want to try to look past all of those things and get to the essential elements of the season. And as we wind up here in the playoffs, perhaps that's what we're going to be able to do. So Gary, let's dive right in. Playoff game number one. We're in the wild card round and the New York Giants are coming to Lambeau Field. They sure are, John. And on the day before, on their off day and the week before the game, some of the New York Giants players, including star Odell Beckham Jr., Sterling Shepard, Salsa Dancer, Victor Cruz, and Roger Lewis flew down to Miami and partied before returning back to New York to prepare for the Packers. The media roasts these Giants for sp supposedly not taking the playoffs seriously. Would it affect the Giants in Lambeau? Well, maybe not so much, because on the other hand, you've got the wizard of Lambeau Field, Eli Manning, who is 2-0 in the playoffs against some of the Packers' historically best teams. After all of the effort it took the Packers to run the table, will they have enough gas in the tank to get past their playoff rival, New York? Well, looking at the early goings in this game, it looks like the answer would be no. If you just look at the final score, it's easy to forget that early on this game was pretty terrifying. 
Packers' first few drives were terrible. In fact, their first drive gained 51 yards total. The Giants led 6 to nothing early in the second quarter. Aaron Rodgers looked like a mess, but with about five minutes to go in the first half, it happened. Aaron Rodgers got hot, starting with a great throw to Devontae Adams, then a second great throw as he danced around in the pocket for literally 15 seconds uh, before throwing a touchdown to Devontae Adams. Then after another Giants punt, Rodgers took the Packers 80 yards in 90 seconds to score another touchdown, the last one a 42-yard Hail Mary to Randall Cobb as time ran out in the first half. Suddenly, the Packers are rolling. The Giants did bounce back to start the second half after the Packers missed a fourth and one attempt in their own territory. Eli Manning hit on a 41-yard touchdown to bring the Giants back to within striking distance, but Aaron Rodgers just said, nope. After a decent kick return and no gain on first down on the Packers' ensuing drive, three passes of 13, 20, and 30 yards, the last for a touchdown, put the Packers ahead for good. Packers ultimately scored on four of their six meaningful possessions in the second half, and they cruised to a 38-13 win. But Gary, my question for you, how terrified were you early on? I don't know if I was terrified, maybe resigned once again to losing to Eli Manning and Lambeau Field. Up until that Hail Mary before halftime, and it was a wonderful Hail Mary, I had this understanding in my brain. Don't get too excited about making the playoffs because we're playing the Giants after all. And in the back of my brain, I'm also thinking about an article you had written, John, that every Super Bowl winner since the 2004 Patriots had dropped at least one game in December. The Packers, because they ran the table, were undefeated in December. Was this a bad omen for the postseason? Interestingly enough, the 2016 Patriots actually broke that streak this season. They were undefeated in December. So from 2004 to 2016, every Super Bowl champion lost at least one game in December. Well, the Packers tried their hardest to lose one down the stretch there to the Bears, but uh, they, they managed to pull that one out. I'm pleased that you kept a level head because I did not. I can remember actually writing during the game because Rodgers was playing so badly. Um, I I was comparing it to the way that the Packers lost in the playoffs so many times under Brett Favre, like with a spectacular last-minute interception. Uh, Rodgers was just completely the opposite of that. There was no backbreaking moment there was just a complete meltdown and we've seen that it feels like there's there's been some other complete meltdowns for the Packers in the postseason I'm thinking of actually one of the last times they played the Giants as well uh, in 2011 uh, just completely fell apart and I feared that's what was happening early but they turned things around in a big way so then the next week they head down to Dallas this is a rematch of the week six game where the Cowboys pretty much took the Packers apart, 30-16, to 16, and that is a deceptively close final score. There are plenty of differences this time around, too, to be aware of, though. Uh, there is no longer a quarterback controversy in Dallas. The last time the Packers and Cowboys played, it seemed like there was a reasonable chance that Tony Romo could return from his injury and unseat Dak Prescott at some point. 
That is not the case now. Dak Prescott is officially the man. Des Bryant is healthy for this game. He had missed the previous game, and he always seems to be a little bit banged up, but he seems to be firing on all cylinders for this one. He'll be matching up with Ladarius Gunter. On the Packers' side, no Jordy Nelson. He cracked a couple ribs in, early in the, uh, the New York Giants game, and he will be out for the Dallas game. And looking down the road, it's not even clear that he'd be able to play in the NFC Championship game should the Packers make it there. And finally, a big difference is that Aaron Rodgers is actually playing well now. It's weird that that was, uh, even looking back, it's weird that that was a storyline. But when the Packers played the Cowboys, Rodgers was still mired in whatever kind of slump he was in. And it didn't look like he was going to be coming out of it anytime soon. He did eventually right the ship and the Packers rolled into the playoffs. The Cowboys finished the season 13-3. and They are the second seed in the NFC playoffs. Or are they the top seed in the NFC playoffs? Yes, they are the top seed over the, over the Falcons. They are favored by five and a half points in this game and seem well-positioned playing at home to make this uh, another Dallas victory in the playoffs. And what a surprise for any fan who might have remembered Green Bay with Brett Favre and Mike Holmgren going down to Dallas what it seemed like a yearly beatdown in the playoffs. It was a different story early on in Big D this time around with Rodgers and McCarthy. The Packers scored touchdowns on each of their first three possessions to jump out to a quick 21-3 lead. But the Cowboys hung in there. They rallied to tie the game 28-28 with four minutes left in the fourth quarter, and that's really where things got quite interesting. Aaron Rodgers leads the team down, and with just under two minutes left, Mason Crosby kicks, by all accounts, a heartbreaker of a 56-yard field goal to put the Packers up 31-28. to Dallas drives down the field and knocks through a Dan Bailey 52-yard field goal with just 44 seconds now left, tying the game 31-31. to So, are we heading to overtime or maybe Dallas gets the ball back and kicks another field goal to go up and win this game? Not so fast, my friend. Green Bay is facing third and 20 from their own 32-yard line. Aaron Rodgers rolls out to his left with the help of guard Lane Taylor pulling, and he finds Jared Cook, now an Oakland Raider, for 36 yards in a miraculous catch that unfortunately is ruined by a terrible play-by-play by someone whose name rhymes with schmo schmuck to put the Packers up on the very edge of field goal range with just seconds left. Crosby nails a 51-yard field goal. Time expires and the Packers escape with a 34-31 win over the favored and top-seeded Dallas Cowboys. John Dallas was 13-3. and They had a great season. Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott were both considered to be not only in the Rookie of the Year discussion, but also the MVP discussion. Meanwhile, Green Bay stumbled uh, through most of the season before running the table. Did the better team win this game? I have to add a caveat to the best team sort of distinction there. I think on this particular day, the best team did win. I'm not sure the Packers would have been the best team every day or even most days, but on this particular day, they were the better team, and the better team did win. The Packers handled the things that the Cowboys do best. 
they the Cowboys ran with Ezekiel Elliott. They racked up 125 yards on 22 carries, but the Packers withstood it. Dak, uh, Dak Prescott and Des Bryant went nuts. Uh, Des tore up Ladarius Gunter. Nine catches for 132 yards and two touchdowns, but the Packers withstood it. The Cowboys made a furious comeback, but the Packers withstood it. The Packers, meanwhile, exploited every one of Dallas's weak points, uh, especially their inability to cover tight ends. Richard Rodgers had a big touchdown catch. Jared Cook did everything that he does. And uh, the Packers ended up on top. That's how you win playoff football, and that's exactly what the Packers did. And the Packers headed off to the NFC Championship game. I think you're absolutely right, John. I, I, the Packers probably don't beat Dallas every time they play. If you know that old adage, if you play it ten times, played a hundred times, played a thousand times. But I, I think you're right. The Packers have the better quarterback, and oftentimes that's just enough to win in the postseason. So as you said, the Packers head down to Garyland in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia. 89 degrees here, by the way, today. On the surface, the Falcons look quite a lot like the Cowboys. They both run the ball well behind a great offensive line, and they have superstar game-breaking wide receivers, Dallas with Des Bryant and the Falcons with Julio Jones. To say that Atlanta is a similar matchup to Dallas is, is just untrue, though, for two reasons. So first, the Falcons coaching staff has really been defensive-minded since 2007 with Mike Smith and and now with Dan Quinn from the Seattle Seahawks. While the Cowboys have only had one season during that stretch where their defense was ranked higher than their offense. So second, the Falcons are also playing more important football sooner. They had to win uh, in the Georgia Dome against a playoff-tested Seahawks team and needed to win in Week 17 to secure a bye in the postseason. While the Cowboys hadn't played a meaningful game in about a month before the Packers came to town. So, John, the trip to the Super Bowl is on the line. I'm in the house. What happened? Well, my question here is really, when do you think the game ended? Because I think you could make the case that the game ended as soon as the Packers kicked off and the Falcons uh, received the ball. Because the Falcons just took care of business from the word go. They scored on their first three possessions. They only punted twice all day. Meanwhile, the Packers started their first five possessions thusly. They missed a field goal. They fumbled. They punted. They threw an interception. And then the first half ended. I would like to point to one particular sequence of plays that came right at the conclusion of the second quarter as the real definitive end of the game. So let's set the scene. The Packers are driving deep into Packers territory as time winds down in the, in the half. They are already up 17 to nothing, and after a nine-yard scramble, the Falcons take their third timeout with 11 seconds left in the second quarter. quarter, They are down on the Packers' five-yard line. You figure since the Falcons are already up 17 to nothing, they're going to take a quick shot at a touchdown here, then go for a field goal. And early on, that looks like that's what's going to happen. They do a quick pass to Mohamed Sanu. It falls incomplete, and for a second, it looks like the kick team is going to come out, but hold on. Here come the Falcons back to the line of scrimmage. The Falcons misfired again on their first play, but they managed to get Julio Jones isolated on Ladarius Gunter one-on-one for their second attempt. Quick pass, a touchdown, 24-0 Atlanta. 
the Packers can collect their game checks in the locker room at halftime because this one is over. Gary, were you more upset by this game at the time, or are you more upset now that some time has passed? I'm more upset by this loss now, but just barely. I say now only because of how the Super Bowl ended. Had the Falcons cruised to a win against the Patriots, you could sit back and go, if you're going to lose, at least lose to the champions. But because of how that Super Bowl ended, and just how pedestrian both New England and Atlanta looked in that game, the little voice in the back of my head whispers, what could have been? You know, that's a really interesting question. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about what the Packers would have done had they actually made the Super Bowl. And I've heard some people make the case that the Packers matched up fairly well with the Patriots. I don't know if that is the case, but it would have been fun to see what the Packers could have done. And man, did they pick a bad time to lay an egg. Uh, it's not just that the Falcons were better than the Packers, and they were. This was, this was not an evenly matched game. The Falcons were very, very good. But the Packers didn't play well at all. And I, I'd like to think that if they put together at least a decent game, there's a chance that they could have been competitive, right? They weren't even competitive in this game. The Packers gave the Falcons all they could handle near midseason. And I know things change over time and, and stuff like that. But I would have loved to see them at least compete. And then then maybe you feel a little bit different about the Super Bowl. But this one, this one for my part, bugs me a little bit more now than it did at the time. Especially because I, I didn't even care by about three minutes into the third quarter what happened anymore so the the season ends is a little bit of a bummer but our main mission here still is intact we said we wanted to do this to try to come up with something like an essential story to the season which may be different or may not be different from what is sort of the perceived narrative around the team Gary what did you look at as the main story of this season Reflecting back on our time that we've spent researching and remembering and talking through this 19-game journey this 2016 Packers team went on, I'll remember this season as the season where Aaron Rodgers got his mojo back. Now, we'll never know what impact Mike McCarthy passing aside the play calling had on those 2015 Packers, but it's fair to attribute at least part of the slide that Aaron Rodgers had in that 2015 season and in the beginning of the 2016 season to that change in play calling. And after McCarthy returned to calling plays late in 2015, it sure seemed like it took a couple of games this season for the duo to get back to their old form. But by the end of the year, Rodgers was the best quarterback in the league. 2016, we'll remember it, at least I will, is the one that got away when you think about a third MVP season for Rodgers' career. All the credit to Matt Ryan, but in my mind, Aaron Rodgers really put the team on his back in the second half of the season, and it warrants an MVP. I don't want to get into an MVP as meaningless conversation, so I'm not even going to let you respond to it, John. I want to hear what your essential story is from the 2016 season. Well, as is my, I guess, want, uh, typically I like to get a little bit sort of philosophical with these sort of things. What does it all mean, man? You know, to me, this the story of this season is kind of the last ride of what I call the, the class, in quotes, of 2014. So you think back to some of the players uh, on the Packers' last real, like, mega juggernaut sort of team. 
2014 seems to stick out as one of those teams to me. The Packers were in control virtually that whole season. They never lost back-to-back games. Uh, they, they put a weapon on quite a few teams. Uh, I mean, they put up 50 points in back-to-back weeks in the middle of that, uh, that season. And they had a pretty good de- defense to boot. It seems like the Packers were a, a sort of uh, well-constructed team that was hitting on, on everything there. And think about some of the big names from that class that group of players, the the people that really contributed to that team. Julius Peppers, Eddie Lacy, Clay Matthews, Josh Sitton, TJ Lang, Aaron Rodgers, HaHa Clinton-Dick, Sam Shields, Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb. You know, these are all sort of guys that were still around in 2016, but they were com- it was all coming to a close. Five of those guys are, are already gone, and if you threw John Kuhn in there, it gets up to, to number six as well. Uh, they've all departed at different points from the Packers, starting with Josh Sitton's release. I think 2016 for me is going to go down as the end of that sort of era of players. And it's, it's interesting to me and a little bit sad because the Packers are going to be retooling in a lot of those areas. They're, they're going to have to replace guys like Peppers and Lacey. Uh, Josh Sitton and TJ Lang are gone and they're, they're not coming back. And meanwhile, HaHa Clinton-Dix and Morgan Burnett have, have become big leaders in the secondary. And they were much different players uh, two or three years ago. It's been interesting to see how that group of players has changed and how, how time has taken its toll on, on that group of guys. Yeah, John, I I like your I like your narrative. I think it's I think it's really true, and this whole process has has made me quite excited about the 2017 season. And while I've got you here, you know, John, we we talked a little bit in this episode about former Badgers tight end and now Packers tight end Lance Kendricks. Uh, well, in in December 2015, this not too far away. The Packers brought in a former Heisman Trophy finalist and a Badger himself in running back Monty Ball for a workout. Days later, though, he would sign on to the Patriots practice squad, but was released days after he was arrested on a felony battery charge in February 2016. There's a lot to unpack there, Gary, and I guess I I just have one major question for you. Are you a Monty Ball pronouncer or a monte ball pronouncer i don't really care he didn't run the jet sweep <laughs> for wisconsin that was all clement and uh and, and melvin gordon ball was well, my, just the touchdown vulture my second question for you is do you think the packers would have drafted ball if he'd been available when they took eddie lacy well I, I i seem to remember thompson i don't know if i read it somewhere but i it stuck in my head that thompson preferred ball to lacy and Ball was taken prior to Lacey. I wonder if Ball would have worked out better in Green Bay. He had a pretty good rookie season with the with the with the uh, Broncos, but man, that guy has had a fall from grace. It's worth a Google if you haven't haven't read about what Monty Ball is up to right now. Well, he sure has. He has not played a game in the NFL since 2014, and he averaged just 3.1 yards per carry that season when he did. So, a sad end to the the career of Monte Ball. Hey, let's 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 try to find one happy thing to say about Monte Ball before before we wrap this up because I don't want to end on a down note. What's your happiest Monte Ball memory? <laughs> My happiest memory has to be that Big Ten championship game against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Uh, I have a lot of friends from college that are Cornhusker fans, so it was just wonderful to to put up. I think it was seventy points on them. It was um, that was seventy that, points. That was a blast of a game, 
it probably the high point in my opinion of of ball's time with the badgers yeah that seems about right i can i can live with that one hey gary i think that's about a show for us where can the people find us online well uh as we talked about earlier passenger pigeons are really the best way to get in touch with us but if you're into this internet thing you can check us out on www.thepowersweep.com if you're a social media user you can use facebook or twitter to get a hold of us we are at the power sweep in both locations and if you'd care to send us an electronic email you can do that address your note to the power sweep 1959 at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you any feedback helps make john and i make blue 58 and the power sweep better and helps make all of us smarter packer fans and smarter packer fans are better packer fans and better packer fans are what we all want to be for gary zillavy i am john meerdink we will see you next week on blue 58 I didn't know much you love, but it came.